This is a Lip Media podcast. Hi, everyone. We have our first repeat guest on the podcast, the wonderful Dr. Ash Nayate. Dr. Ash and I talk about how to deal with the grief, the cabin fever, and the productivity panic caused by COVID 19 lockdowns. This episode was recorded a few weeks ago, but it's still relevant. I hope you enjoy it. This podcast is recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. This is Amrita, and you're listening to Heckin Concerned Podcast. Hi, Ash, and welcome back to Heckin Concerned Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm not happy about the fact that I'm talking to you again in a crisis. I didn't expect there to be two crises or more crises in a mm. year. Humanity seems to be in a very strange place right now. The whole world's dealing with coronavirus, and there's protests in some countries, there's mm. economic and uh, you know, breakdowns in other countries, there's explosions somewhere else. Yeah. It's just yes. all unbelievable. Yeah, elections coming up in some countries as well. Oh, so yes. that's huge. That's huge, yeah. I think mm. I don't even know if uh, people have a sense of the future anymore. For the time yeah. being, it seems to be in some kind of holding cell, a waiting room. Yeah, it is. And it's, the uncertainty is so scary because we're a species that just needs to have stability and predictability. And you know, everything that we thought we could depend on has just even even just as simple as go, you, you can just get on a tram and just go wherever you need to or get in a car and go wherever you need to. And even that's changed. So, yeah, it's a huge adjustment. And I think it's really difficult. Yeah. Well, even something as basic as stepping outside the house. Now you have to make sure you have your mask with you in, if you're in Victoria. Mm. I never thought I would be living in this kind of scenario that you only see in post-apocalyptic TV shows and movies. You know, like every time you go out, you have to make sure you have your mask on in case you breathe yeah. in something. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, very surreal, isn't it? And keep, keeping the distancing and only being out for an hour a day and... It's, yeah, it is very strange. And yet we've adjusted to it. I think most people have adjusted to it fairly well in terms of the practicalities of, okay, yep, wear the mask. Of course, there's people who aren't. Most people are yet wearing the mask and doing what, what's been requested to, to do by the, by the government. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just thinking ahead thinking what's the end of the year going to be like next year when when are the borders going to open when can we travel that's all so uncertain there was speculation on on abc news i don't know how true it is but some experts say that this uncertainty could go on for years because we could keep having mini um mini flare-ups of coronavirus cases in in the community and that's kind of what happened in new zealand they were covid free for so many days and then suddenly they've discovered it somewhere else so i guess this is what happens in an epidemic or a pandemic it takes a few years to er eradicate and then in terms of the economic impact i mean that could take even longer and I, i'd also just want to acknowledge as well like the reality of so many people being unwell and people even losing their lives um you know i'd also want to acknowledge just how 
heartbreaking it would be for the for the people involved. And um, just yeah, my condolences to anybody who has um, lost someone close to them. Yeah, I, I do know a, a couple of people who have, and I can't even oh, imagine. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's it's I can't imagine what they're going through. Have you found among your clients that there's a lot of grief for this situation right now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, grief is about loss and change, and there anytime there's change, there's understandable sorrow for what was to what it is now even if what we're changing to is better um in this case it's I, I don't think it is better so it's grief for the change but it's and grief for what has been lost and then there's also a sense of grief of of now just day to day what is lacking so many things used to take for granted that we can't do anymore and there's grief for that as well so i think it's absolutely a very pervasive emotion there are some kinds of things that are um, you know, that we we don't have right now that are good things that we're missing out on. But some of the change is also good, like COVID has exposed uh, a lot of systemic inequalities and a lot of structural discrimination. And mm. it has also exposed how we're sort of indiscriminately and unsustainably using natural resources it has exposed how we need to have a new economy in which people have more flexibility and there's less of a focus on growth and more of a focus on general well-being. People are imagining what it will be like in the future in a post-COVID world where more and more people will be working from home or working from regional areas and how development and what sort of infrastructure they will need to work from there rather than coming into the city all the time. So some of it is is very bad change and some of it is good but obviously uncomfortable change as we reimagine our whole lives at this point. Yeah, that's a, a good point that you make. And it's interesting because I know I've spoken to a lot of people who have said that over the years their workplaces have been very adamant about not working from home and they've insisted that, you know, you have to come in, you need to have your butt in the seat. And because of this, it's forced everyone into this very different way of doing things. And a lot of workplaces I know a lot of workplaces haven't coped. Many of them have, and it may be faster than they realise. So you make a good point, which is people have realised what is possible and maybe the future will look different. It won't be everyone sitting at a desk nine to five being physically in a different location. I will say this is that, um, and it's awesome that you can have that perspective. And I think that once we're out of this real immediate survival stage, because I think everyone a lot of people are really just trying to get through this next five weeks. Once we're out of this stage and hopefully when there's recovery of, you know, in recovery of many things, um, it I think time will tell as to are we going to learn the lessons that needed to be learnt during this time. Um, and I think I, I wonder if now is too, it's too soon to really be planning, which humans love to do. We love to plan because it helps us helps give us comfort and yeah, it's probably too early for that just given how much everyone is just on in survival mode just trying to get through the day get through the week this planning is also causing productivity panic and fatigue in us isn't it everyone when when the lockdown started months ago people were like yes i'm going to use this time to you know learn a new skill like garden some people were like i'm going to get like ripped and mm. work out and it's been hard for people, including me, to accept that inexplicably, for you know, 
for days I don't have the energy that I should have or I don't have the motivation or um, everything is okay, yet nothing is okay. It's hard to put a finger on why we're feeling weird. And it's also mm. hard to really grasp how much other people's sadness and panic and how much collective grief affects us, even without us realizing. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the motive, the, sorry, I should say the A motivation that you describe, I think is so much more common than we realize. And, um, you know, being in that, we, we can be in that real chronically stressed state without realizing it. And when we're in that state, everything becomes more difficult. So I'm not talking about that. There, there's a bit of a, uh, I know this is a podcast and so no one can see my hands, but there's a bit of an upside down U shape where a little bit of stress is good and it enhances our focus, but then too much is not good. And it makes it hard for us to re- to remember things it it makes it hard for us to hold lots of things in our mind so if we've got this to-do list that we're trying to remember um, it makes it really difficult even things that normally are effortless for us they can all of a sudden become really difficult and that's tiring and it's really taxing and when we're in that survival state then thinking more long term and broadly like thinking yeah I want to get ripped I want to learn a new language I want to declutter my house I want to finally do the garden, you know, do the garden up, all of that, we, we don't have the cognitive resources left because we've used up so much of it in trying to get through um, get through the day or just trying to cope with the emotions that we're coping with. And I will say this, if, if, we're, if, if we are a person who is not very good at dealing with emotions and if we're suppressing them or ignoring them or distracting ourselves from them, that takes up a lot of our mental energy. So these are the background processes happening in our brain that suck the battery out. It does because the emotional system works a lot faster than our rational brain. We're already feeling the feelings by the time we try and talk ourselves out of them. And it happens a lot. We say, oh, it's not so bad. Yes, you know, other people have it worse. We spend so much time trying to talk ourselves out of how we're feeling as a way of getting over them. And that's not the way to do it because that system has kicked in after the emotion's already happening. So we've just got to accept, yep, this is how we feel. It might be that, wow, I didn't expect this to affect me the way that it has. It has affected me. So let me come to terms with what's going on. Let me accept that and move through it. What's a, what's a useful way in which people can set mini goals, productivity goals, if you may, but do it in a healthy way that doesn't tax this, is already taxed systems even more? Oh, it's such a good question. And it's such an individual question as well, because anything that I say can be used in, uh, it, it can be used to sort of guilt ourselves into, oh, I need to do more things. Um, and at the same time, for people who might genuinely be in a space where they're like, no, I actually want to improve something, then um, certain recommendations, it will just put them back into a state of maybe apathy or lacking motivation. Because they think, well, if everyone's saying that this doesn't matter, then I guess it doesn't matter. And so what I would say is just become really aware of what you need right now and in making sure your basic needs are being met. And ask yourself if you're wanting to be more productive, uh, what does productivity mean to you and what's the reason that you're wanting to do it? Because if you're wanting to do it just because you feel good about yourself when you do, that's very different than doing it because, oh, all of my co-workers have been posting on Instagram and I feel like I'm being left behind. Those are very different reasons to do the same thing. Yeah, you make such an important distinction how 
giving a one size fits all answer is really not useful in a situation like this as kind of bring about different emotional responses on different people. Yeah. Uh, it's harder as well to pay attention to your own feelings and needs when you're, for example, a parent who's working mm. full time from home, struggling with your own, all your own emotions and feelings, and also dealing with your child's feelings. And if they're a school aged kid, then if, and in Victoria, they're probably learning from home. And I guess it becomes quite a pressure cooker situation. So uh, you and your partner have two children. Are you struggling with this uh, as well at home? Absolutely, 100%. It is very difficult. And I say this as, you know, as someone, we were already homeschooling before the before the pandemic, that was already our plan to homeschool. Um, and it's still, and for some people, it might, they might think, oh, okay, so I guess this wasn't much of a change for you. But what is happening now is not homeschooling. This is isolation schooling because we can't catch up with any of our other homeschooling friends. We, we can't go and go and visit anybody. We can't see our extended family. We can't even do any of the extra, extracurricular activities that we're accustomed to doing. So this is very, very different. And in terms of dealing with it, it's, for, I can speak to my personal experience. It, it really is about trying to balance everybody's needs on a day-to-day basis because everyone's needs are going to change. Like there's going to be one day when, for example, I am feeling like I don't have much patience left. So that might be a day when I need to be extra mindful of how I'm taking care of myself. And then there might be days where it's that, that way for my partner. So we have to make sure that that's the day when he makes sure that he's extra vig- vigilant about having his needs taken care of. And it's not easy. And I think this time, you know, we were talk- you were mentioning earlier about how this time has really revealed a lot about ourselves. I think it's highlighted the importance of communication when you're living with someone else. So whether it's a partner or children or parents or a roommate, um, having effect really communicating well making it clear as to what your needs are making it clear as to the things about other people that are annoying you and setting boundaries that's a very difficult thing for a lot of us because maybe we didn't grow up being able to do those things but now I think more than ever it's so vital and day by day and it's not just mine and my partner's needs of course it's also the kids because they have good days and bad days just like we do and there are days when um, the two of them because I've got two boys, so there are times when the two of them, they're playing great together and they're doing really well, and then there are days when they just really need to be apart from each other for a lot of the day. So I think what we have been trying to do um, as best we can is taking it day by day and trying to have a very non-judgmental approach to what everybody's needs are. That's very important, non-judgmental, because a lot of parents feel guilty for not being, for even thinking about, taking time for themselves and it's hard obviously when the world is shut down to take any time for yourself you can't just go out for a walk uh, when you when you want um what are some Mm. ways in which in a family parents could in a healthy way take some emotional time for themselves I think the first thing is to know um, what are the, I'm going to say self-care, even though that's such a cliche now, Um, I'm going to say it's first knowing what are the techniques that are going to give you the most bang for your buck? Because for for someone like you, you know, maybe sitting outside 
for 10 minutes with a cup of tea, maybe that will do absolutely nothing for you and you really need to get out and go for a run for 10 minutes, right? That or half an hour, right? Um, Whereas for me, um, maybe maybe having a 10-minute cup of tea, maybe that actually really recharges me a lot more than I thought. So I think it's knowing yourself and knowing um, what benefits you the most with the limited time that we have available. So some things might be removing yourself into a different room. Um, if it means you need to put some screens on for the kids, so be it. You know, 10, 15 minutes, it's, it, this is a very different situation than normal. So, um, you know, use screens if you have to remove yourself from the room. Maybe it's putting some music on if music's something that you really enjoy, listening to music, doing some meditation, reading a book, having a, just a quiet cup of tea. Um, maybe it's you physically removing yourself from the house if there's another adult to care for children. Um, or if not, maybe it's asking that adult just to, to take them out, just go into the backyard so that you can have a little bit of time. Um, when the children go to bed, maybe it's then having that time, just doing something for yourself, maybe watching a movie, um, having some intimate time with your partner, you know, whatever it is that you need that makes you feel good. Yeah. An extension of what you said about not having judgment leads on to, for example, screen time for children. Because we are living in bizarre times, I think it's okay to be lenient with yourself if you need to use what you would have previously considered unhealthy habits like too much screen time or whatever. I mean, what else are children going to do? Um, They're kind of reliant on screens at the moment for interaction with their teachers or friends for entertainment mm. or things. So if if it's something that you've tried not to do, but you're having to fall back on it, I think it's okay at this point to do that, right? I really think that's, that's the case. And, you know, it's, it's difficult because I know that sustainability is something that's a value for you and it's something that we value as a family. And at the moment, right, when you think about it, like for us, we we try not to purchase a lot of toys. We have a local toy library, which is now closed. Mm. So, you know, what are some ways to get around that? We normally visit the book library to get books. The book library is closed. So we're, you know, we've made a couple of additional purchases, like some jigsaw puzzles and, a, you know, um, the, we've have got a thrift shop near us that has got books as well. So, you know, there's ways you can still work within your value system, but I think it's shifting. Maybe it's not going against your values completely, but it's maybe just shifting the definition of what that looks like for you. So, you know, maybe you are spending um, more money than you planned to, or maybe you're you're even using masks that are um, disposable masks if you happen to need disposable masks and can't access cloth masks. So there's a lot of ways that we're having to adjust um, adjust things. I mean, I'll tell you like one of, you know, for, for some people, a, a, I don't even want to say guilty pleasure, but something that might give them a lot of joy is just having a cup of coffee in the morning, just quietly with, you know, no interruptions, or it might be having a glass of wine at the end of the day, just quietly, no interruptions. And, you know, objectively we can say, well, yes, these things aren't good for you and you shouldn't rely on these things to cope. But I think now is not the time to to be doing that. And as long as you're staying safe and you're not harming anybody with what you're doing, then I think relaxing the judgment is a good thing to do. Uh, you mentioned that 
this is a good time for people to to seek therapy if they've you know if harmful patterns in relationships or past traumas or uh, anxieties have surfaced or just people are feeling despair i think a lot of people are finding new neuroses in this time as well like a friend of mine was saying that she suddenly has misophonia which she <laughs> didn't have before so anxiety and being cooped up is bringing these things up and i you know the government has um allowed the mental health care plan sessions to be extended by 10 more sessions so it's like 20 sessions now we're both of south asian background and we know that in south asian communities there's a real resistance to things like seeking therapy or there are very patriarchal and baked in gender roles in relationships i can only imagine that in some households being cooped up together right now is really highlighting the the imbalances for people and making them feel miserable and i guess this is the time to really buck the trend of your culture of whatever else and just do what you need to do for yourself like be selfish mm i i agree i agree and um sometimes the attitudes can come from this very incorrect assumption of what therapy is um and i think a long time ago people used to say well therapists they're just there because you're self indulgent you're just wanting to dwell on your problems or you just um making some need to make something out of nothing or therapists were seen as someone they're just trying to change you or they're just trying to always blame the mother i think that's where it comes from in our culture that there's a lot of okay don't see a therapist because they're just going to blame the parents they're just going to blame the mother so we don't want to <laughs> and the parents don't want to have any of their mistakes highlighted so um it can be maybe just taking a step back and realizing actually therapy is none of those things maybe talk to people who have been in therapy and learn about what their experiences are or i'm sure there's people on youtube who have who are talking about what their experiences of therapy are like if you don't know anyone in person so um destigmatizing mental illness destigmatizing therapy if you had a broken leg you would seek help for it pre- presumably um and not that we have a broken psyche per se we certainly have a broken environment right now in which we're all struggling to adapt so um seeking therapy is it would just be would be just as appropriate um as it would be going to a doctor if you're unwell if you are in um you know if you're living with your partner and you are finding that the patterns of you know behavior or the dynamics of your relationship are really bugging you in this lockdown uh what's a good way to sort of approach talking about this um how can uh, i know that people must be feeling anxious about bringing this up because it could it could lead to a fight it could make the other person up, upset or they don't know how to even start talking about it so mm. how does one gather the courage and how does one choose their words carefully or is there any sort of broad suggestions around that so if it's something that's a major boundary violation then i think it's really um important to come at that conversation with as much clarity and calmness as you can so that might mean before you go into the conversation you become really aware of precisely what it is um not just the behavior that's bothering you but also underneath that behavior what is the value of yours that that behavior contravenes is it that you you feel that your partner is being disloyal or that your partner is betraying your trust 
for example. So coming into that conversation and doing your best to communicate with calmness and clarity and also keeping the focus on the behavior is something that you don't like versus that your partner is someone that you don't like because behavior can be changed but character cannot. So if you make it clear to your partner, this is what I'm finding unacceptable and this is what I would like you to do instead so you come up with what the solution is, I think that that would be a good stepping a good springboard into having that conversation and it might not be received well. Um, And if it's not received well, then I think it's an individual decision as to, okay, do you pause that conversation and try again another day or do you kind of just say, look, this isn't something that's going to change right now and if it's not going to change, can I handle that? Can I tolerate this in this relationship? Because if not, then it might be that some difficult decisions need to be made, like whether you continue to stay with that partner. And I guess in the in the other scenario where it's these idiosyncrasies, like little habits that your partner has that are just normally wouldn't bother you because we're all spending so much time together, they drive you up the wall a little bit. Um, and I guess the recommendation, again, being really clear as to what it is about that that bothers you. And it might be that Let's use an example, like, for example, um, when you prepare some food, the kitchen's often left in disarray. It really bothers me because all of the clutter I find really overwhelming and disconcerting and I uh, find it difficult then to prepare food for myself or to try and prepare the family meal. So if you can get really clear on not just the behaviour but what is underneath the behaviour for you, how it's affecting you, then that's probably a really good way to come into the conversation as opposed to, oh my gosh, you're such a slob. You're such a, leave such a mess all the time. Why can't you pick up after yourself? Yeah. That language is really important because obviously this person, if they're your family, they, they love you, they care for you. So if you highlight that it affects you in this way, Mm. it's going to make more sense to them why they should change that. That's right. That's right. And I think it opens the door to problem solving as well, because the partner might say, look, um, I really want to be able to tidy up after myself. I don't know where anything goes. And so, or, or the cupboards are always so full. So then that might be, oh, okay, cool. Well, how about we rearrange the cupboards together so that you know where everything is? Um, and it might be, hey, maybe we can um, a- arrange things in a way that creates more space or we can move some stuff out of the kitchen and put it in in a closet, in a hall closet somewhere. Or maybe there are some appliances we don't use anymore and we need to get rid of. So um, coming at it like a more of a problem-solving exercise, like the clutter is making making it hard for me to think versus, you know, character assassination, you're such a slob, how come you make such a mess? That's um, really insightful. And I'm really grateful for therapists, for psychologists, for psychiatrists. I'm grateful for the work that you do right now. You're human and you're struggling just like everyone else but you're out there trying to help people cope it's amazing thank you your words are very kind and I will add one thing that which is that through helping people it's amazing how much we learn um, from we learn from our clients as well so I'm very very grateful to the people I get to work with um, who in sharing their stories and experiences and in the two of us working together because that's really what a therapeutic relationship is it's working together to get a good outcome for them and then 
afterwards, you know, when I go back and reflect on the the session, I I learn so much about them. I learn so much about um, sometimes I learn so much about myself as well. So uh, it's definitely uh, as much as we try and help, we also get a lot back uh, spiritually or emotionally from our clients as well. And I'm very grateful to everyone I get to work with. There was something else I was going to say and it's completely escaped me. Um, oh, yes, your friend with misophonia. Um, just maybe let her know that misophonia can be a symptom of burnout. So some general stress management might really help her. It might not take away the misophonia completely, but it should just dial it back a little bit. Okay. I'll let her know. I think she'll be listening to this episode, so I hope that helps her. It's always amazing to talk to you. You're insightful and you speak so well. And obviously, that's your job. You're a therapist. Dr. Ash, thank you so much for coming back uh, and talking to us today. And I hope that the next time I talk to you on the podcast won't be under such bizarre circumstances. My pleasure. I hope you and family stay safe. Thank you. You too. Take care of yourself. ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. I'm Sonia Pfeiffer, award-winning journalist and criminal defense attorney. I'm David Rudolph. I represented Michael Peterson in the murder trial that became the Netflix documentary, The Staircase. Abuse of Power is an original podcast that examines the impact of wrongful convictions. We will reveal the frightening ways in which innocent people can find themselves wrongfully convicted, imprisoned, and even executed. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST, A-cast. 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 recommends.